Welcome to episode 92 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, our special guest is Ilya Lichtenstein. Ilya is founding a startup called Insight.io. Hi, Ilya. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So, Ilya, I, uh, I read a few of your blog posts about mm-hmm. startup marketing. And uh, frankly, the, the, the way I felt coming away from it is that I don't know anything about startup marketing. <laughs> and I have a feeling there are a lot of people listening to the show who are in the same bucket as me, which is they just sort of this naive understanding. You're like, oh, you know, I guess you can do AdWords and you can blog a little bit and maybe you can do like stumble upon or Reddit ads. But, you know, that's, it. you know, not too much beyond that. But from what I understand from reading these three posts that you wrote is that there's a whole lot to it. And the one thing I want to talk about first is you, the, the posts that I'm referring to are uh, based on something that's called like a, you, you made an offer to on Hacker News a few weeks ago about free yeah. startup marketing advice. And as a result, you had like 150 startups contact you over a period of like a few days or a week or something like that. And you basically just responded to all of them with giving advice. Yeah. And these yeah. posts were the result of that. So what I'd like to do is, is just start from there. What gave you the idea to, to do that in the first place? Um, well, I guess the, I just saw that there was a lot of demand for information like this. And you're absolutely right. Although I would say that you know more than you think you know about marketing. But nonetheless, people are kind of overwhelmed and confused. And they sort of think a lot of them have this, if we build it, they will come mentality. And online, when there's so much competition, that's most often not the case. So people are kind of overwhelmed and they don't know where to go. And once they've built something, maybe they've written to TechCrunch or something or they've tweeted about it, whatever people do nowadays. And now what? Now, how do we actually get customers? How do we get traction? How do we take it to the next step? So, yeah, I had all of these startups email me. And I really was surprised at how many of them had the same questions and were facing the same issues, which is we've built this, we've got a few maybe initial users or initial customers even better that are really excited about the product, they love the product. But now how do we get the word out there? How do we actually develop a model for driving traffic that's consistent and scalable and repeatable? And that's what a lot of them were looking for, especially if they were interested in raising funding down the line. What VCs and angels want to see is a somewhat developed model for getting traction and traffic where they can, say, put a dollar in and know that we'll get two, three dollars in sales back. And that's what everyone's looking for. And it's very hard to find if you don't have experience driving traffic. When I was giving these startups advice about driving traffic, I kind of looked at their sites and I realized that a lot of them, even if they got a lot of traffic, they weren't ready for it. Just in terms of having optimized landing pages, in terms of having a clear value proposition, in terms of listing the exact benefits that they would provide. And so I kind of had to take a step back and tell all these people, well, I would love to tell you how to get traffic to your site, but you're not ready for it yet. First, you have to get all of these elements right. And doing that was actually a little frustrating for me just because what I wanted to talk to them about was how to actually build large scale campaigns and scale things up and get big. 
but they couldn't do that until they got all these marketing fundamentals right. And it could be something as simple as just writing a headline, writing the right headline that has your biggest benefit in it, or even getting the pricing right. Just things like that that are really important that ideally you should be thinking about before you've written a single line of code just because that'll inform all of your decisions in terms of features, in terms of what you're building, all that stuff. Okay, well, before we get into that, I'd like to just kind of finish up this the story of your 150 startups experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened? I mean, well, first of all, what gave you that specific idea? You're on, I imagine you were a regular on Hacker News or something? And then yes, just- yes, I spent too much time on there. Uh, so I guess there there was this brief fleeting fad on Hacker News of making offers to the community uh, called Offer Hacker News. And a bunch of people were making posts and some of them were offering design advice or programming things or things like that. Basically, whatever their strengths are that they want to use to give back to the community. And I've just even before all of this happened, there's already been people contacting me asking questions because of my activity on the site. And a lot of them were asking just how do I get started? How do I build a marketing campaign online the right way? How do I get the structure right? How do I get the right kind of quality traffic? How do I get cheap clicks? Things like that. So I thought, well, if people are just completely unprompted by anything, just emailing me about this. I thought, well, if I offer this, I'll get maybe a few people to email me and then I'll make a lot of cool friends and and look at cool startups and help people out that way. And I was really overwhelmed. I thought I'd get maybe 10, 15 emails. And this was, this post got a ton of votes and I had people email me basically every few seconds my mail was pinging with a new email. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) The funny thing is, is that they were all asking the same questions. So that's when I kind of got the idea to just start blogging about this. And and I submitted those posts on Hacker News and they got a very positive response. A lot of people were interested. And it's just kind of this big unsolved problem that is hanging over a lot of startup founders on there because they know how to build stuff. They know how to even they know how to design a really good landing page, really good sales page. But actually bringing traffic in and testing and getting data is something that they're kind of almost stuck on and they just can't get past that initial hump of getting initial traction, at least getting some data so you know what's working and what's not. And that's what what they've been asking me about. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's um, such a hole in everyone's uh, knowledge base? Well, it's just completely different perspectives, I think. So I come from an affiliate marketing background and I've been doing that for about three years. And when you do affiliate marketing, all you're doing is brokering traffic, essentially. So you don't have to worry about building a product. You're just promoting other people's products. You don't have to worry about optimizing because the advertiser's landing page is already optimized. All you have to do is drive traffic. So you invest all of your energies and all of your time really in learning how to drive traffic and really learning to master traffic sources. And you can't afford to do that if you are also building a product at the same time. You can't study the very specifics of AdWords if you have to learn Python or whatever, or even if you have to learn how to raise money or the business stuff, 
So there's a few guys that can do both, but they're very rare. And a lot of startup people think that the hardest part is building something. And obviously it's very hard, but yeah, it's not everything. Ilya, you mentioned that uh, Insight.io is your new startup. What exactly is the service that, uh, that Insight.io is going to offer, especially after you're giving away the secret source for free? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that I learned about marketing is that there is no secret sauce. But uh, Insight.io grew out of tools that I wrote for myself to help me with my own marketing campaigns and driving traffic. And basically what I realized as I started building campaigns and trying traffic sources was that whenever I jump into a new area or a new niche or a new product, there would be a very specific set of steps that I would follow every time. So I'd search some of the keywords in it. I'd see who's ranking for them. I'd see what kind of ads appear. I'll see how expensive the bids are. I'll see what sites ads are running on. Basically all these steps that I go through every single time just to get a basic handle on how I could promote a product in this space. And so I realized, well, I'm lazy, of course, so I can automate all of this. And it's just sort of this algorithm that started in my head and then became code to basically automate a lot of the steps of building an ad campaign. And what Insight.io aims to do, at least when it's finished, is to basically tell you exactly how you should be allocating your ad spend which we try to infer which sites your ads will work best on, where you'll get a lot of clicks, where the cheap traffic is that you're looking for, what will convert the best. And so we're analyzing a ton of data with regard to ads, keywords, bids, all of that stuff, ad positions, to sort of try to find those elusive, high-converting, cheap clicks that everyone's looking for. And the reason I started building this, especially after talking to a lot of startup founders and e-commerce people, was that they really don't have the budget or time to test everything, to test every traffic source, every keyword, and see what's working. And so hopefully by collecting all this data, I can do that and I could see what's working. I can infer what would actually convert the best and give you the cheapest clicks and just give you that data. So that's it's, where I'm going it, with it. It's all, two things that occur to me. One is it sounds like you're almost like an outsourced uh, marketing arm for the company. Because um, a lot of startups don't really have time, don't really have the, like you said, the expertise of someone like yourself. And usually it's like a couple technical guys or one, or, or even if it's a technical guy or a designer or, or maybe even a business guy. There's, the business guy himself has 15 other primary yeah. activities needs to worry about. So it seems to me you're, you're sort of like give them the opportunity that they can, they can leverage your expertise without having to hire someone in full time. Assuming they can even find someone who knows all this stuff. Is that, well, is so, that kind of- well, with insight, it's just going to be a tool that automatically gathers all this data and provides it for you. And actually, I mean, I used to do some consulting for startups and uh, that was interesting, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do with, with my career. So now I'm focusing on, on building Insight.io and building my affiliate marketing campaigns that I have going. And the reason that I really didn't enjoy consulting was that I go into this consulting gig and I, what I'd expect to do was just give them the advanced strategies to scale up their campaigns to the next level 
what I ended up doing was setting up their AdWords account, setting up proper tracking, just the really basic stuff because a lot of startups aren't even doing that. And so hopefully, at least in the future, as it gets more competitive online, startups will start doing that and getting really simple things like tracking everything down. And so they'll be able to use more sophisticated tools. But the thing about it is, is that um, I mean, I, I spent, I guess, six months quite heavily trying to get into affiliate marketing about three years ago. Uh-huh. And the, the tracking tools, I just found so boring. Like there's the whole, <laughs> just that, that whole process of working with it. It's kind of like working with spreadsheets 24 seven, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it takes a specific kind of mindset to be able to, to work with that data and make that something that you can do all day long. Yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of interesting when you're doing marketing is that it's a mix of right brain stuff and left brain stuff because absolutely there's a lot of analyzing these long spreadsheets of costs and CPA and earnings per click and all this stuff. But then on the other side, you have to be incredibly creative in actually building these campaigns and really thinking about what are your customers' needs and desires and how do we meet them? How do we target creatively in terms of not just searches, not just keywords that they're searching for, because that's a very small piece of the puzzle, but also demographic things or even psychographic factors like interests. So, for example, I started with Facebook ads. Uh, I started running on Facebook ads right when it came out about three years ago. And back then it was really easy. All you would do is just target single males and throw dating ads on them and they would go sign up. And that would be all you have to do and you would just get traffic and get conversions, but you can't do that anymore because it's gotten so competitive and there's so many advertisers jumping into the space. Now you really have to look at, if you're on Facebook, you have to look at the whole social graph. You have to look at specific interests and likes and things like that. And that's how you have to target. And the same thing on Google, same thing anywhere, really. If you're just going for searches that describe your product exactly, you're never gonna get volume. You're never gonna get a significant amount of traffic. You have to think, where else do my customers go online? What are they looking for? What related products are they looking for? What kind of things do they like reading about? And all this stuff. So it's always broken down to what that person wants to see, what they want to read. It's 100% catered for the each individual kind of niche member of your audience. Yeah, well, you have to do a lot of segmentation, absolutely. And if you really want to build a marketing campaign that's scalable, you just have to kind of learn about your customers. And that's why in the beginning I said you probably know more about marketing than you think, and any startup owner does because you know your customers and you know what they're like. And so you could do something as simple as survey your customers or go on Facebook and look at some of their accounts on Facebook, like Rapleaf and startups like that are doing, and just see what their interests are, what their demographics are, and think broadly about that and think where are people just like them going online. So uh, the one thing I want to back up and ask you about, I, I guess I completely missed this. So Insight.io is going to be a, a software as a service. It's going to be a web app. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, okay, absolutely. So I, and I assumed yeah. that you were setting up a consulting, uh, you know, company. But uh, so, and you say a lot of this is algorithmics. Okay, so first thing yeah. I ask you is, what is it going to do for people? Like, how's it going to work, and then how much is it going to cost? 
Yeah, I, I guess I need to make a better landing page, but it's still in the very early stages. So basically, the goal is to mine a ton of keyword data, ad data, all that, and filter through that. And just if you enter some of your keywords or even your niche, I'll show you exactly where you should be advertising. I'll show you where your competitors are advertising and what's working for them. And I'll show you how to best allocate your ad spend for maximum conversions. And yeah, this is all automatically, all an automated tool. And the pricing, I think, will be very affordable to startups. I mean, that's a big part of marketing is testing pricing, but it'll probably be under two, three hundred dollars a month for for a high tier. And the competitors that we're competing with are these sort of big enterprise class software tools like Comscore, like all those that maybe cost forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. And so I was looking at using Comscore initially for my own campaigns, but then I decided to build my own tool and then I'm going to try to commercialize. But the goal is really to, to take all of this data out there about advertising spending, about where ads are appearing, about what keywords are related, about which sites are related, things like that, and really filter through it. One thing that, that makes me think that that pricing is as a startup, when my startup's earning very little money or or nothing, like the idea of spending a hundred dollars a month at that stage of the startup seems not really possible. W- would it be possible to have a kind of scenario where people could use it for a month or something so that they could start growing that revenue and the revenue to pay you, or some somehow to kind of scale it up or something? Yeah, well, potentially would have a free trial or something like that. But the truth is that. If you're going to be doing any sort of paid traffic, $100 is nothing. You'll blow through that in a day. And so right. in, in the marketing industry, the open secret that nobody likes to talk about is that most campaigns fail. Even if you're the best marketer in the world, most of your campaigns will fail just because there's so many factors that you can't predict and control. So you can build a really well-targeted campaign, but maybe your competitors have even better ads and they'll get all the high quality clicks. And so you really have to invest a lot of time and money into testing these ad campaigns. And that's why I kind of laugh and cry at the same time when startups tell me that, well, we tested AdWords and it didn't really work, work for us. So I guess AdWords doesn't work. And that couldn't be further from the truth because obviously AdWords works. It works for a lot of businesses. It probably works for your competitors. You see them advertising on there, but that's the product of a lot of testing and optimizing and a lot of different, just trying different things and spending money, testing different campaigns. And as an affiliate, when you're getting started, you can expect to lose money, possibly a lot of money, but eventually you'll make it all back because you'll have that one campaign that's converting every single day and it'll keep paying you. So my goal for Insight is actually to make that testing less painful. Basically what I'm trying to do is to let your competitors spend money, do all the testing, figure out what works, and we'll, we'll just look at what they're doing and show you that. So, so, so if I'm a bootstrap startup and, you know, we don't have angel funding or anything like that, I mean, what, how much money do you think on the low end you'd need to use your product and to run a campaign that'd be worthwhile? Mm. Uh, it Good really question. depends on the niche you're in. So actually a lot of startups that emailed me from Hacker News 
I did email everyone back, but I had to reject them. And I, I had to say, sorry, I can't help you because they weren't selling anything. Either it was a, a content site or some kind of social site or something like that where their primary model is advertising supported. And I specialize in paid traffic and there's no way that's going to work. So it depends what you're selling and for how much. And if you have the metrics that let you make those decisions, that's very important. So if you know your customer lifetime value, if you know your conversion rates, if you know how long you can keep billing someone, if you know how different types of traffic convert on your site, then it's very easy to make those decisions. And obviously that's a lot easier to do as an affiliate because you get a fixed payout up front. And you know if you spent say three, four times that payout and you didn't get any conversions, then that ad campaign probably failed and you just move on to a new one. But if you have a startup and you have no idea how it converts because it just built you just built this thing, then you just have to spend money and test just to get that data. And the way I like to frame it is that initially you're not paying for traffic, really. I mean, you're paying for traffic, but you shouldn't expect a lot of traffic. What you should expect is to collect some data and get some numbers. And then once you have those numbers, it becomes a lot easier. So if you're selling something for $10 a month or $100 a month, that obviously makes a big difference in how much you're spending and also how expensive those clicks are going to be. Or even if it's something like a, a SaaS app versus physical products where the margins can be completely different. Is it possible to to do it with something that costs 10 bucks a month? I mean, is yeah. there... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. I mean, if you convert it at a good number and if it's targeted, yeah, well, I, I assume you'll be getting a lot of traffic from Twitter and all that for, for your thing, but really you just have to make the numbers work. So AdWords is a big traffic source, but it's not the only traffic source out there. There's so many other ones ranging from niche banner ad networks to media buys on specific sites, to social traffic. And there, there's so many things. And so when you're an affiliate, if you're promoting a dating site, you may only get two, $3 for a sign up, but you get the cheap enough clicks and you make the numbers work versus promoting a $100 product on Amazon that's a physical product where you might get paid far less, even though it's a more expensive product. So really, it's about looking at a lot of different traffic sources and seeing what kind of traffic works for you. Um, even in terms of the distinction between products or startups that sell to small business owners, where it's going to be a lot more about lead gen and sales versus a consumer product where you have to get them to sign up right away. So uh, one thing we've done is we've, we've done a lot of meta talk. We've talked a lot about the kind of things that we don't know. What I'd like to do is actually get into some of the specifics, if that's all right. Um, because yeah, please. Because I, 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 I know for myself, like I'm a, I'm, there's a lot of things that I don't quite understand that I want to understand a little bit better. And the first question is just going to – I want to dig a little deeper on just the fact about, okay, the first step, right? The first step. Let's just say, you know, I got something built. And, you know, I've got some people sign up an email list and I'm, you know, blogging about it, whatever. But I want to I want to start doing some some tra some actual paid traffic. What should I do? What are my first few steps? Well, the first step is that 
hopefully you've set up tracking some sort of analytics, whether it's Google Analytics or Mixpanel or anything like that. Okay, and yeah, first then, stop, what, what, okay, what are the other what, what are the ones that we consider? There's Google Analytics, Mixpanel, what else do, what do you recommend? Um, those are the big ones that um, I know performable you had you had an interview about that, um, but I haven't worked with that personally. Uh, for affiliate marketers, there's a free software called Tracking 202, but that's mostly geared towards affiliates. And really, even if you have something internal, you could have something very simple where you just internally have a little a little tag that you pass in that contains the keyword or the traffic source, and you just pass it into Google Analytics as a as a query variable, and you just know where the traffic is coming from. So definitely set up tracking and then get the numbers right in terms of conversion rate and lifetime value. At least, it doesn't have to be perfect, but at least figure out some kind of benchmark so that you know how much you need to spend roughly to get a conversion. And so the way to do that is go on Google, but go on the content network. Don't go on search because search is incredibly competitive and you have to worry about lots of the details like quality score and all of that stuff. The content network on Google is a lot more forgiving. And in fact, if you do placement targeting on mm -hmm. Google, then there is no quality score. There's no relevance. It's just basically a function of your click-through rate and your spend and your landing page quality. So I would say backtracking, I would say once you've set up tracking, get a decent landing page set up. And that means have a big call to action, big headline, list all of the benefits of your product up front. You know, don't list features, list benefits. And once you have that, think broadly about the kind of keywords that describe your products, at least not even very specific ones, but just kind of the, the head big keywords that get a lot of search traffic just so you get some traffic to work with. Don't worry about long tail or anything like that. And just throw up a campaign and see if you can collect some data because at that early stage, it's all about collecting data and seeing if it's actually converting at all. Okay, um, when you say campaign, now you're talking about setting a campaign on, this, this is not Google AdWords, but it's content, not search? Not, not search. Cause, yeah, I don't, I don't cause understand search. what that means. I don't even understand what that means. What are you saying the content network? What, I mean, I have okay. zero experience with that, so I, I think it's sure. a little more. Well, the content network is AdSense ads on other sites. And okay. so the way Google targets that is that they don't necessarily look at specific keywords. Rather, they figure out the general theme of a specific page of what it's about. And then you enter a bunch of keywords into your AdWords campaign and they figure out what the theme of those keywords is and they see where it matches. So okay. you don't have to worry about putting in keywords that people are searching for exactly. It's just more broadly what the general theme or what your product is about. So that's a lot you, easier. You think, that, you think that's a more efficient use of uh, a, a cheaper way to get traffic or, or why are you? Yes, you, absolutely. It's, it's way cheaper and it does convert less. It will convert less than search. Absolutely. But at least it'll get you some metrics and you can start split testing your landing page. You could start testing different calls to action, all that and getting data. And you could start getting some actual customers from that, which is obviously a big boost, not just financially, but in terms of morale 
and it's always exciting to get those first few conversions in. So okay. that's one approach you can take. Well, let, let me ask you. Let me, just, let me just ask you real quick before we go. Hold that thought because I just want to ask you this real quick. You said that it's um, it's it's uh, less expensive, right? Or it's, it, but you're but you're and you're going to get less traffic. So what's going to happen? So well, you're going to get more. You're going to get more traffic, but it's going to convert less because it's not people searching exactly for your product. Uh, right. Higher selling. volume, less targeted, but it's still going to yeah. cost. But the, the, okay. All right. So uh, the, the way it works is, out, it works, it works out to be better, cheaper in the end to get the, to get a hundred conversions. It's going to be cheaper is what you're saying. It's right. just easier. I mean, I don't even know if it'll be cheaper, but you'll get more conversions. You won't be limited by how many people are searching for a specific keyword. It's a lot easier. And also there's so much more inventory out there. I mean, I think there's 3 million sites that AdSense is on, whereas your keywords might only be getting a few thousand searches. So you can really afford to test a lot of different things cheaply. And that's what kind of, of price can you get, get clicks for them with the content network? Uh, it depends. It depends on your click-through rate. It's going to depend on what you're targeting and who you're competing with. There's a wide range. It could be as little as five cents. It could be a dollar. But obviously, since there's a lot more inventory and there's a lot less people advertising on content relatively, or at least a lot less people advertising intelligently on content, it'll be a lot easier. Because a lot of people, what they do is they'll go to AdWords when they're first starting out and they'll just set up one campaign that's search and content. They'll throw all their keywords into one ad group and they'll wonder why they're not getting a lot of traffic. And it's kind of weird, actually, that Google lets you do that, even though they have very clearly published best practices for creating good ad groups. They tell you how you should structure your campaigns, but... If you're just starting out and going to an AdWords account, you could just make something that will not work well at all, and they won't stop you from doing that because it's more money for them. Okay, so you said uh, before I interrupted you, <laughs> you said you were you were an, the next. There's another thing. There's something else yeah. to do other than okay. Well, the the other thing is social traffic, and that's absolutely huge. That's where the majority of the traffic that I've driven came from, and by social, I don't mean. Twitter or whatever, I mean paid social advertising on Facebook. And those clicks can be very cheap as well. You could probably get 10, 15 cent clicks consistently. And the cool thing about Facebook is that if you get the numbers right, if you're converting that traffic well enough to be profitable, you could get virtually limitless inventory. You could scale up very quickly to spending thousands of dollars a day just because they have so much inventory and so many impressions. And so that approach is not really focused on keywords at all. It's focused purely on demographic and psychographic factors where you could go to Facebook and you could target by their age, all that gender, marital status, all that stuff. But now you can also target by anything in the social graph whether that's their interests or it's where they work or even now sites that they've liked. And that's an incredibly powerful marketing tool that's being underutilized, especially targeting by specific sites that people like or specific brands or things like that. And for a lot of people who are just starting out marketing, it's sort of cognitively easier 
to just see, okay, well, I'm going to target people who like my competitor or who like products from a certain space. Or if I'm selling iPhone apps, it's really easy to target people who like iPhone. And that's a quick way to get a lot of traffic without racking your brain, thinking about thousands of keywords and competing with all of these other advertisers who are also selling iPhone apps. But I guess it also relies on the ad that you write as well. Like that, yeah. there must be an art to writing a Facebook ad. There right? is. What, what, and it's, could you give us a quick little overview? It's it's not the funny thing is that it's there's nothing really that unique about writing Facebook ads. It's really the same headline and ad writing skills that people have been developing for decades now. There's a, a book called Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins that was written in the 1920s about how to write newspaper classified ads. And I could take that advice and apply it directly to my Facebook ads. And it's funny how we've kind of come full circle with that and that once again, we're sort of limited by a very constrained space and you have to catch someone's attention among a sea of ads and things like that. Um, if you want me to get more specific, the best advice I can give for writing good ads on Facebook is that the image is very important, obviously, and you want an image that gets their attention. And I think where a lot of people trip up on Facebook ads is that they're scared that their image won't be relevant or that their image won't really fit the rest of the ad. So they'll put something like their logo, which unless you're a very well-known brand with a powerful logo is not going to work. It's not going to be attention grabbing. So really what you have to think about in terms of an image is that it's like an ad for your ad. All it does is it draws the eye towards your ad and gets them to read it. And then in the headline, in the ad body, that's where you actually start selling. And so once you have a strong image, the other thing that you can do is make the ad as relevant as possible in the text to their interests, to their demographics. So uh, Facebook was kind of cracking down on this a little bit because people were getting creeped out by how good their targeting is. But what you used to be able to do was if you're targeting, say, 30-year-old single males, people would make their headline 30 and single, question mark. And that would work right. really well because they would say, hey, I'm 30 and single. I'll click. Um, they're kind of cracking down on that a little bit. But in terms of interests, there's nothing stopping you from writing something that's relevant to your interests. If you have a site that that sells software for restaurant owners or something, you could definitely search on Facebook and target people who work at restaurants or people who are interested in cooking or whatever and say, hey, like cooking, want to start a restaurant, things like that. So you definitely have to get creative. Okay, so say, for example, uh, an app like Plugio, which is essentially a, a Twitter productivity tool. What would you how would you do that on Facebook? Well, so I haven't researched this. I'd have to look at whether the numbers are there, but I don't know if Twitter clients have people like them on Facebook. So if you could target people that like a specific Twitter client, you could do that. More broadly, if you know who your target customers are, if your customers are people who are interested in social media advertising, who are interested in promoting their startup on Twitter, then you could target 
people who are interested in TechCrunch. So I'm sure TechCrunch has a ton of Facebook fans. I'm sure you're not competing with a lot of startups for that traffic. And that could be a cheap way to do it. Or people whose job, because you could target by job and career too, you could say people whose job is social media expert or whatever it is, or, or social media marketing. And Damn, I wish we'd had this conversation privately. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, now, now everyone's going to jump on it. Well, th right. that's the thing. It's kind of interesting in the marketing world that a lot of people are really protective of their strategies, their techniques, even though there's nothing really earth-shakingly revolutionary. There's no huge secrets, but even little things that people have somehow discovered for themselves just by testing because they've spent money testing it. They're not going to share it. Even if they're doing consulting for a client, they're not going to share it because it'll be way more profitable for them to use that targeting for themselves as an affiliate or as a white label product or for their own products or something like that. So there's kind of a lot of secrecy in the marketing world and you don't really see a lot of tutorials the way that you would for programming, for a programming language. You don't see a lot of stuff released in an open source way. A lot of people like to really keep their tools very private and close to the vest and reveal as little as possible. Are you going to have angry mobs with like burning stakes at your door? <laughs> I've already, there's already, already been some backlash a little bit for every post I, I make. Uh, there's always one or two people from the affiliate marketing community that message me and say, hey, stop outing my strategies. Now we're just going to have <laughs> a bunch of noobs come in here and drive up all the bids that don't know what they're doing that are testing this. But I figure that the fundamentals of marketing never change in terms of crafting a strong appeal, figuring out who your customers are, segmenting them, all that stuff. And that's not really a secret. So as long as you know those fundamentals and you know who your customers are and what they're looking for and how to best meet their needs. And if you're building something people want, then that's half of marketing right there. Oh, okay. You know, one thing that we've talked about recently is StumbleUpon and Reddit. Uh, we had a com long conversation with David Cancel Performable about his experience using StumbleUpon, which was positive. It turned out really well for him. Um, and then uh, we had a conversation on our last, uh, most recent podcast with uh, Gabriel Weinberg of DuckDuckGo, and he's he's done some research. Uh, he's experimented some campaigns on with using Reddit, uh, Google AdWords, StumbleUpon, and he says the StumbleUpon doesn't work so well because people there's the bounce rate is really high and uh, but reddit seems to work a little better i'd be curious what your experience is with those platforms and any recommendations yeah have. well that that's why uh my answer so often has to be it depends because it really does depend on what the product is and what exactly your appeal is so for example for something like DuckDuckGo, i could see it doing very well on reddit just because it's sort of a, a free indie alternative to the man, Google, the big corporations, which sort of fits very well with the prevailing attitudes on Reddit. And the fact that it's sort of this friendly, kind of free, very open app works very well. I've also seen Reddit ads where people were actually selling something on Reddit. 
especially if it's anything to do with marketing or SEO, where they just get absolutely torn apart in the comments. They just get destroyed. Mm -hmm. They actually probably generate negative publicity for their business. And I think it's silly to enable comments on ads in the first place, but I guess that's what Reddit wants to do. And then in terms of stumble upon, that also will depend. I've The people I've spoken to have also gotten very positive results from stumble upon, but a lot of the times it's kind of a, a wild card because as I understand it, you pay for a certain number of stumbles on there. And then after that, it depends if people like it, if it'll go quote unquote viral on stumble upon. And that's where the big traffic will come from. If you if you're paying for every random untargeted visit, that's not a consistently scalable traffic strategy. And so if it helps you get a little initial push and same thing with Reddit, if it, it helps you raise your profile and get a little initial push, then that's great. But what I really like is sort of sustainable, stable, scalable traffic methods where I know that if I put in this amount of money, I'll get this much back. And that's kind of where I've been focusing. And I think in the long term, that's probably the way to go. And you look at some startups that start out with a lot of PR, they start out, they get on TechCrunch, whatever. And then after that, there's a dip. And I believe Y Combinator in their offices have a little graph of the TechCrunch dip where after that, what do you do after you've gotten that press, after you've gotten the attention? How do you actually build something scalable that will last? Okay, well, you say that you like something that's scalable aside from just buying um, buying advertising campaign. I mean, what, what else, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, so obviously a lot of... I mean, when you, you talk about going viral on StumbleUpon. You mentioned that. What, mm -hmm. what, I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, well, because with StumbleUpon, people people vote it up, and when it gets voted higher, then it gets organically distributed to people rather than you having to pay for it. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Okay, so you're yeah. you're using you're paying for it to bring it to their attention. So it's almost like paying for a front page uh, listing on Hacker News. Uh, can I can I ask you about uh, my startup and just give a little, get some advice from you on what you might suggest? No. No. All right. No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> go on Jason all right, all right. Well, see, go on, so then. I have a little different problem than Justin because my my, my uh, product is called App Ignite and it, what it is is it's targeted at I don't know companies small companies even individuals who want to build a web application a data driven web app with a, and, and be able to do it kind of point and click like going through a series of wizards and uh, not have to write code for the most part um, and I think one of the key markets are going to be uh, com companies or corporations that have a lot of internal sort of data apps that are right now just sort of hacked together spreadsheets, but need to have a group yeah. or a uh, entire department using and utilizing. But it's also for small companies, lean startups that you know that either lack the funds to have the entire thing built or would like to get something built quickly and get it up there and then customize it later. So I think there could be a variety of different demographics of people who might be interested in it. Um, the reality is, though, there's not much in the way of, uh, of competitors in this space. There's a couple. Um, there's QuickBase, which is owned by Intuit, and they charge like $60 per user per month, so they're pretty high end. And I'm just, 
you know, curious, how, you know, what you might suggest and how to get started and, you know, how would I, I mean, I, I imagine you're going to say split up my demographics and do some testing based on that. Yeah, well, you mentioned that right now you're trying to replace people doing things in Excel. Or- yeah, I mean, it turns out, like, at least in companies, so there's, there, there's, there's the people who are trying to build apps for internal use, right? So if you're in some, let's say you work in HR, I'm just going to kind of make up uh, an example here. And let's say that you have a bunch of uh, candidates that you're trying to track and you, have, and, you, and you have to set up interviews within the company for them and you want um, the people who interview them to fill out as kind of a survey like, well, what did you think based on these categories, et cetera, et cetera, and you want to track it. And then you have to have somebody else sign off on it. And you're like, and right now the way you're dealing it is you kind of have a spreadsheet listing you know, like based on who, what individuals and what department have interviewed them and what they thought and, um, and all the e- emails going back and forth between you and the candidates and it's just kind of a mess, right? So people and, are actually writing scripts in Excel then or... Yeah, I mean, or, who knows? I mean, and then you have... Horrible. And maybe you have one or two other people in HR hoping to coordinate this and you have a spreadsheet and it's emails are going back and forth and it's probably a mess. And that's just a contrived example, but I'm sure things like that exist and things like that exist in, in all different types of departments and all kinds of different companies where it's not a big enough problem that a company's not going to go out and spend $100,000 building an internal app, but it's, it's still Excel and email is the only real way to solve it. And, that's, and that doesn't work very well. It's a mess. So if somebody who doesn't know how to code um, could go on just kind of like design it by just going through a series of wizards and pointing and clicking or even somebody from the web dev group <laughs> of the company could say all right look I'll do it for you in 15 minutes let's let me sit down and talk with the person what they want and then just set it up for them go here you go right oh. that's an internal use for the app not external use of the app would say okay you have an idea for a startup or you're you know part of some lean startup group and you're like hey I got an idea for something and you can um, you know build it and, and put it out there and it's a public app so that's sort of a different use case Okay, well, well, just starting with the internal use case, you do have a big competitor. Your competitor is Excel, essentially, at least for that market segment. So it's actually, you have a very clear path for a pay-per-click campaign where you just look at what people are searching for in terms of how to do this in Excel, whether it's the names of the functions or error messages from Excel or things like that and throw up ads, bid on those, it'll be super cheap traffic, and throw up an ad and say, hey, struggling with X function in Excel, here's a really easy visual way to do this. That's just awesome. And you could do that on search, you could do media buys on tutorial sites, that'll also be very cheap. You can do content network, you could do pop-up traffic if you want. There's a lot of stuff you can do just based on that one use case of replacing Excel. And it'll be incredibly cheap traffic because who's bidding on specific function names in Excel and it'll be incredibly targeted. So that's just one example. Um, You could try LinkedIn ads and things like that, but that can get very expensive. And the goal, at least initially, is to get this really cheap traffic just so you have some data and you're able to test on a budget. Right, because you know, so obviously I just made up that example off the top of my head. I mean, there's, I mean, I don't even know if I can. There's many that. more. Right, I'm sure is as many as many different functions that happen in all the different types of corporations that there don't exist obvious uh, or, or or widely used software solutions to solve those problems, which means a lot of stuff. 
but I don't know what those things are, right? It's like when, when the first spreadsheet was created, they didn't have an idea of like what people were going to use it other mm-hmm. than a couple of very basic things. And then, of course, it turns out people use it for tons of stuff. Um, and in, in trying to come up and imagine those scenarios, it's, it's kind of difficult. So um, I guess I could try and contrive some examples like that, but I'm, I'm just um, – yeah, one or Well, it it'll be a, a lot easier when you've launched and you have customers that you can talk to and you can ask them what are you actually using this for? And yeah, you'll be incredibly surprised. I know I always am when when I talk to a startup to see which features are actually being used by customers in which ways and and which are not. And there's so many things you can do even if you figure out a specific job description of someone who would be most likely to evangelize your software inside the organization or has the buying power to buy that for the organization, at least for, for bigger enterprises. And you can target by that job title or by that company even. Right. You'll have to forgive Jason's lack of enthusiasm. I'm enthusiastic enough for both of us. I think that is absolutely <laughs> awesome. I'm not, I'm not unenthusiastic. I'm, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I'm just trying to, yeah. trying to process this all. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, that's, that's really, that's really um, you know, good information. So, so it almost sounds like the first thing to do before you, start, you, you go out and start buying traffic is try and get our traffic through organic means of blogging and email lists and just get some contact with some initial customers to even get a basic sense of what your demographics are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, Hacker News is a great way to do that because there's a lot of early adopters on there and blog posts and all that. But that's still not scalable or at least no. it's not long-term enough, but it's definitely a good start. Yeah, because I, I have, you know, Jess and I have talked about this a bit on the show, and I, due to the prompting of Rob Walling, who we interviewed a while back, who's a big proponent of sending up a landing page and collecting email addresses before you launch, yeah. so that when you launch, you have some mm-hmm. kind of demand set up. And based on just a few blog posts that I've written, I've written three or four, that, and they've all gone to the front page of Hacker News, and, you know, some have been bigger than the others, but as a result, I've generated about an email list of about 850 beta requests. Oh, fantastic. And, so that's not bad, and I think I have I have some other posts. I, I just need to get off my butt and write some more posts. But I'm I'm trying to shoot between two to three thousand, and I'm figuring with that as a base, I can get a sense from the customers of or the potential. I should say the the beta testers, not really customers. The beta testers, who's enthusiastic and what they're enthusiastic, what they're enthusiastic about and why, right? And then I use that to sort of craft a campaign. Is that is that sort of the first step? Yeah, but even more importantly than that, just from those few thousand people, you'll have enough statistically significant data to get a good conversion rate number, at least even to free signups. Um, If you're really thinking about this, when you launch, you'll hopefully be split testing a few different call to actions, a few different landing pages, because if you're getting free traffic and you're not tracking absolutely everything, then you're throwing away an opportunity. And even worse, if you're paying for traffic and not tracking and split testing consistently, you're just burning money. So Uh test everything, test different buttons. I mean, you'd be surprised at how big of a change can come from just a slightly different headline or button. 
Yeah, because I thus far I'm tracking nothing. All I've done. Oh no! I've done nothing, right? So I, I am an empty canvas. I got nothing. I mean, all I have is a. I spent a couple hours trying to, you know, creating a landing page, more or less, just trying to figure out the language um, to something that sounded decent. You know, I'm sure it's far from optimal. And I just in my blog, I created initially just a trailer down at the bottom that says, "Hey, by the way, I'm recruiting beta testers for App Ignite, et cetera, et cetera. Please, you know, sign up." And then what, the only change I made recently is I noticed that, you know, if the last the last blog post of mine that hit the front page Hacker News it had three thousand page visits, page views. Okay, and I, I went and look and I use Get, get Clicky or Clicky. I guess it's GetClicky.com, mm-hmm. but I use Clicky for analytics. Um, and I, I went and I looked. You can look at each individual action, and you know maybe. Every third or fourth action, people would be staying on, or, uh, or every third or fourth person would be staying on, and it seemed like reading it for a couple minutes. But three quarters of people would bounce in ten seconds, and I figured, you know what? Those people aren't even seeing my call to action to sign up to App Ignite. So I, I put it up above the header, and I noticed like right away it increased the number of people that went and signed through because they may or may not be interested in reading the article that I wrote once they realized, oh, it's it's not two paragraphs; it's a little bit longer. But then if they yeah. saw App Ignite, they go, oh, that sounds kind of cool. What's this about? You know, yeah. Welcome to social traffic. That's how it is, and that—that's right. why I, I'm always wary of uh, investing in Reddit ads and things like that because oh, obviously, okay. bounce rate and time on site will suffer. And Hacker News is probably a lot more engaged than your average social visitor. Well, I've never—I mean, I've been to on the front of Hacker News, I guess, about seven times now, and it's only on the very last post that I posted that I've actually got any kind of action from it. Previously, all, all I got was a lot of comments and a lot of people looked at the post, but no one went through and signed up to, to Plugio. But this time, because the, the entire article was specifically written about my experience of building a following using Plugio and that you should check it out, it, but I, I'd written in such a way that it kind of didn't put you off, it kind of pulled you in. Um, yeah, it got some it got some response. So I think it's very much about writing to the audience. Yeah, well, congratulations. You've written your first successful sales letter and that's how <laughs> the landing page should be. Well, okay, you 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 said about tracking. I just want to ask you, know, what should I be what should I be tracking other than or testing? I mean, for one, I should be testing the I guess the header that's that's ta- asking people to sign up to App Ignite, and then I should be testing the landing page itself. I mean, what else should I be testing? Well, it depends at what stage you're on. So if I you mean, just have stage, a landing this, page. Yeah, at this stage. All I have is a landing page and a call to action that leads to the landing page from my blog when people come and read a blog post. Is there anything else I should be testing other than those two things? Well, you should be testing the headline on the landing page and uh, the benefits. I haven't looked at yours, but I can do that after and I can send you some, some stuff in email. But basically... Okay. You should just think of three, four different headlines that you can try that emphasize different benefits and see how well those convert. Obviously, you want to know the conversion rate for different traffic sources. So in terms of the refer that's coming in, um, different calls to actions. I'm always afraid to give people too specific advice because I don't want you to be sitting there for hours drawing 10 different buttons to see if one maybe results in a 0.1% difference in conversion rates. The big thing is going to be whether you can get traffic that's fundamentally interested in your product that's targeted. And then after that, you might as well be testing, but 
in terms of affecting conversion rates, the biggest thing is going to be the traffic source. I've seen some absolutely horrendous landing pages that were still converting just because they were appealing to such a fundamental desire, uh, such a fundamental need in their visitors that they were willing to navigate this awful, confusing landing page just to scratch that itch and solve that problem. Right. Um, so, Justin, I have a few questions that I jotted down earlier. Do you mind if I get into these, or do you have anything you want to cover before I move on? I'll go on then. Okay. Um, okay, there's a couple of things that were interesting. You talk about um, competitor bidding. So you, 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 go, you find out who your competitors are in the space, and, and then you bid on what their, the name of their product, things like that. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a very simple way to do it and a very easy way. And obviously, that's going to be very, very targeted traffic. And yeah, you bid on the name of their product and then you add modifier keywords like review or discussion or things like that. And you will show up if they're not bidding on their own name with paid search, which very few advertisers do, your ad will show up above the organic results. And so they'll see your ad first before they even get to your competitor's page. And that's a simple way to do it. But then if you think more creatively and you actually go to the sites that people are talking about your competitor, so if a blogger wrote a review about your competitor's app, there's nothing stopping you from going to that blogger and say, hey, I have an app. I'll pay you to put a banner ad for my app right above that review or even on the sidebar or wherever. So right. it's definitely an easy way to get really relevant traffic. But unless your competitors are absolutely huge, it won't be very much traffic. Right. It, it is some. And in you, another one you start talking about, you say... Um, start retargeting and what is mm -hmm. what do you mean by retargeting yeah so retargeting is fairly new uh, it's a new way of delivering ads and basically what happens is that you place a little pixel on your page from a retargeting company whether it's adwords which does retargeting or a specialized ad network like adroll and then those ad networks know which uh, people who are looking at ads are actually have visited your site in the past. So it's sort of having your ads follow your visitors around. And the data shows that on average, it takes about six or seven visits to a site for someone before they commit to buying. So if you have those very targeted ads appearing now everywhere, then you get very highly interested traffic you're reminding people who may have bounced very quickly from your page about your product if they forgot about it or maybe getting them to take a second look. And basically what these retargeting companies do is they'll tie into all the major ad networks and ad exchanges for anyone who's visited your site. They'll only show them your banners instead of just showing them to everyone. So it's a very effective method, especially if you have that initial boost of traffic that maybe doesn't spend a lot of time on your site the first time around. Right. And, and something you, know, you talk about is um, uh, using pop-up ads. Um, that, mm -hmm. That's actually, I think, called media buys. Uh, you, know, you say that actually works really well, even though people think of that as sort of old school. Not um, pop-up ads, banner ads. 
banner ads, right? No, well, oh, I guess both. You can oh, also okay. use pop-up ads. Okay. Uh, and you said you I, said you suggest to target smaller blogs in your niche using mm-hmm. this approach using I mean, banner ads. So yeah. what's the deal? I mean, well, people assume they don't work or they're just a big waste of money, but they actually do. What's yeah? What's the story with those? Yeah, of course they do. And Google acquired DoubleClick for billions of dollars because it's such a successful business. And a lot of people make the assumption that banner ads are only for brand advertisers who just want to get eyeballs. And while that's true in some sense, a lot of people actually click on banner ads. And it's kind of funny how in this little valley echo chamber that we live in, a lot of people think, well, I don't, I've never clicked on an ad, therefore ads must not work. But there's a segment of the population that's not computer savvy that a lot of the time can't even tell the distinction between what's an ad and what's not. And as long as you're not spammy, as long as you provide value. So for example, for that Twitter article, you could very easily buy banner ads linking to that article and it'll provide good value and it provides good information. But at the same time, you're driving traffic and you can drive a lot more traffic by doing these media buys. And so a good method to get into media buys very easily is to look at your AdWords campaign. If you're already running on the content network, they're actually very transparent and they'll show you which sites your ads are appearing on in the content network and they'll show you where they're getting the highest click-through rate and you can track visitors from which site actually convert the best for you. So then what you can do is just approach those sites directly and say, okay, well, I'll pay you more than AdSense is paying you right now because Google isn't going to take a 30% cut anymore and just paste in my code instead of your AdSense block. And that way, instead of your ad showing up next to three or four of your competitors, like they do in the vast majority of keyword targeted AdWords campaigns, now it's only your banner ad. And if it's relevant to the audience of that site, you're getting a lot more traffic from there now. I wrote that article specifically uh, for StumbleUpon, actually, because my, my hope was that maybe given that it gave some valuable and interesting information, I could use it as a StumbleUpon and then maybe it would get some organic uh, um, traffic. Do you think that that's the kind of thing that could work with StumbleUpon? Yeah, I would think so. I, mean, I really don't have too much experience with StumbleUpon, but it seems like anything that's good content will survive organically and stumble upon and do well. And you can always give it a little push with stumble upon ads and see if that converts. So that would absolutely do well. Interesting. Um, okay. One thing I was re- I, I noticed a little bit, I, 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 um, you mentioned in your blog post was called, you said tracking with uh, Google analytics, URL builder. Uh, what is that exactly? What is that? What is a URL? Builder? So that, that's just a, there's a bunch of tracking variables that Google Analytics uses that you can use to track specific ads. Um, so you can pass through a variable that has a, the keyword that you're bidding on, or you can pass through a variable that has the traffic source. And that's a really easy way to use analytics to segment your traffic and actually see, okay, well, these keywords are converting at this rate and this traffic source is converting at this rate. And you have to track very granularly and very specifically 
So what I always do is I always track to the individual ad level. I assign each ad a unique ID and pass it through to Google Analytics and see how it converts because even different headlines on ads, you could have an ad that's very specific that gets a low click-through rate, but those clicks are very high-quality clicks that are engaged and that are interested in your product. Or you could have a very vague ad that has a high click-through rate probably because it just makes a curiosity appeal but it's not going to result in sales and you're just wasting money on it. So the URL builder is just a little tool that they have where you just put in which variables you want to track and your landing page URL and it'll just spit out a URL with all those variables put in. Does it track them beyond that landing page? Like as, as they browse around your site, can you kind of follow those variables through? or is it just Analytics, analytics does, yeah. They just put down a cookie and they'll, they'll track it throughout. But it's important to have all of your incoming URLs have those analytics tags in the query string so you know what kind of campaign is working or what kind of appeal. So they'll automatically track things like the referrer, but if you're using different headlines, there's no way for them to track that unless you tell it to. Or for example, for StumbleUpon, you wanna make a, don't just link directly to your landing page, put in those little Google Analytics variables in your landing page and you'll be able to see that. How do you browse them within analytics? I, I have never sort of seen a, an area that said browse this, you know, this variable. Well, there's a, there's a bunch of things there. I mean, obviously it integrates well with AdWords. So if you're on AdWords, it's pretty easy. But yeah, if you, if you drill down in there and you have the conversion tracking set up and your goals, if you go through the goals, you can actually see where traffic for those goals is coming from and how it's converting. And yeah, basically any variable. So there's a variable called UTM source. That's your traffic source. Or there's one for your campaign where you can put which kind of campaign you're using and you can filter by all that stuff. And that's very important. And I learned to track everything as an affiliate because especially on Facebook ads, the slightest differences could have tremendous effects on your ROI. So most campaigns that you start with when you're sort of just trying to get traffic and testing, they're probably going to be unprofitable and you'll be losing money. And if you give up there, you'll never realize that there's some small segment of all the traffic that you're getting that's responsible for most of your conversions. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule. And if you just identify that segment and only target them, suddenly you're spending a lot less on traffic, but it's very targeted and very relevant and you can use that. So for example, on Facebook, I would target by age and I would sit there and I would create a separate ad with a unique ID for every age, like 13 through 65. And I'll see ages 25, 27, 28 convert for me, but not age 24 for whatever reason. And I pause those ads and leave only the ones that are converting while running. And the only way you're going to get that data is if you're tracking everything, even down to the specific ad, the specific image, if you're using images, specific headline, even things like your display URL on AdWords can make a huge difference. And a lot of people don't realize to use that. They just put the URL of their homepage and their display URL and that's it. 
But what they don't realize is that a lot of the times a few people will just look at the display URL and type that into their browser and that's free traffic for you. You're not paying for that click. So if you have a display URL that links to your specific landing page that is targeted at that traffic, that's a way to increase your relevancy and potentially get some free type in traffic as well. Just track everything, basically. Right. No, you say Google Analytics and uh, and Mixpanel. Does Mixpanel do all of this as well? And yeah, guess- well, the cool thing about Mixpanel is that they have a, an easy-to-use API, and so you could customize it, and you can track whatever you want with them. But Google Analytics is also very good, and it's integrated with AdWords, which is nice. If you're doing A-B testing, can you basically include the same person in more than one A-B test? Is there a way to do that? Well, so obviously you want it to be consistent and what modern A-B testing software does is it'll just drop a cookie on that person and it'll show them the same variation at least until they clear that cookie because say you're A-B testing prices or something like that, you don't want to be showing the same person different prices. Uh, I believe Amazon got in trouble for that sometime back. But really what everyone does now is multivariate testing where you're not just testing two versions of a page, but you're actually testing lots of different things on the page at the same time. And you run that through software and it'll tell you which combination of headline, benefits, button actually produces the best results. And it'll just test every single combination. Run it through what software? Uh, Well, obviously Google has a pretty nice optimizer. Uh, Google website optimizer is pretty solid for A-B testing. And then there's a a startup that I've seen that's pretty good called Visual Website Optimizer, which the guy posts on Hacker News a lot too, and it's gotten some pretty good feedback. And obviously there's more complicated enterprise class tools as well, but I would definitely recommend getting started with Google Optimizer just because it's free, as long as you don't mind handing all your conversion data to Google. And then you could just test lots of different things. Is, that, is, is, is this different from what Mixpanel does? Does Mixpanel not do the A-B testing stuff? I'm not sure. I don't think they do multivariate testing. I haven't used it too much. but Oh, so that's, that's the difference between Visual Website Tester and, and Mixpanel is the multivariate aspect to it. Is that what you're saying? And, and Google Website Optimizer as well. So Google Website Optimizer is separate from Google Analytics, where analytics is purely tracking And then in Website Optimizer, you just tag a bunch of segments of your page and you you say, here's five variations for this. I want you to rotate them and show them and tell me which one gets more clicks or more conversions or whatever. And yeah, the the cool thing about Google Website Optimizer, which everyone should be using to test because it's really easy, is that they apply statistics to it. So they'll give you a confidence interval and they'll tell you there's 95% certainty that this is the best, most converting page. And they'll basically just run through with any number of elements being tested simultaneously, which is a lot faster than testing one thing at a time and just having different versions of a page. So do you put bits of JavaScript code? I mean, how does, yeah. how does yeah, Google exactly. optimize to get into your web page? Yeah, you put in their code and you just mark off which segments of your page you're testing and it's a very easy interface and they'll they'll pretty much do everything 
So, so yeah. you would have Google Analytics and Google Website uh, Optimizer JavaScript yeah. snippets in absolutely. Both yeah. Let's say, for example, you're going to show two different buttons. In your PHP script, do you just kind of say, if the person has cookie A, then show button A, and then you wrap around the, the Google code for that? Well, so I wouldn't put anything in my PHP script. I just go for a Google Website Optimizer, and then there's other tools that do it. I know Optimizely is another Y Combinator startup that does split testing for you, but basically you just put in their code once, and you tag which segments of your page are the ones that will be changing. So you'll wrap your headline in their JavaScript or your button. And then you just go into the, the interface on Google and you put in the different variations, different chunks of HTML or what have you. And it'll automatically rotate all of them and track and integrate with analytics and show you which ones are actually converting. One, one thing I'd like to ask you about is in, in your uh posts on this topic you you mentioned um you know seo a couple times and i'm not even sure what that means really and for uh, you know for me i mean for app ignite i mean what, what when you say you're doing your seo i'm like i don't i'm not doing anything so what is my seo <laughs> right i mean what am i supposed to be doing that i don't that i'm not doing well let me say that i am by no means competent in seo it's not something really i do too much just because i don't really have the patience to wait for the results to come in but as i understand it if the main components of seo are creating content and building authority backlinks and if you do that then you're 90 percent of the way there and the rest the the really high level advanced seo stuff is really beyond what most startups need. If you just create good content and get backlinks, you'll be set. So what does that mean, create good content? I mean, write blog posts? Anything, anything. So anything from a sales letter to a tutorial to, yeah, blog posts. So when, when I say good content, it, it doesn't even have to necessarily be content that you think is well-written or anything. It just has to, Google has to know that it was generated by a human. It's unique and it's relevant to your site and to whatever keywords or topic you're trying to rank for. So there's so no writing, magic. Uh, okay. So you're creating content. You're, you're talking about your product, doing tutorials, etc., and you're doing it on your product's website. Right. So if I'm on App Ignite, yeah. I'm writing tutorials about App Ignite. I'm talking about, you know, whatever. And that's theoretically going to help, you know, Google. Well, yeah. So, so for example, Slicehost, they have a really good knowledge base and they have articles like how to set up an Ubuntu server, how to install Apache, things like that. And it's basically content they wrote for their customers just as their help center but it also happens to rank very well because they have a lot of backlinks. And so I imagine they get a lot of traffic and new customers just from having those guides and having those tutorials. And that's just an example of creating content that's relevant to your products, but at the same time, also relevant to the keywords that you're trying to rank for. It's like, right. it's like uh, casting a, like a, I guess, a fishing net or or a, a catching net by using internet real estate. So the more internet real estate you've got, the more chances you have of getting the long tail and people hitting you. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah okay. I hate that. I absolutely hate doing that. I would never do that. I prefer baiting the hook very carefully and catching the one fish that I want to catch 
instead of casting a net, but they're all valid strategies, obviously, and different things work for different people, but I've never really had success with SEO. I think I, I started very briefly, right, when I was getting into marketing. The way I sort of got into this was that I started blogging about tech stuff, and I was looking for a way to monetize my blog, and I learned about AdSense and put some AdSense ads up. And the way I did SEO was that I just looked at what people were searching for who were coming to my site in analytics, what keywords I was showing up for, for maybe where I wasn't in the top position, but it's just that long tail where I'm getting a little bit of traffic. And I went from there and I wrote more articles about those keywords or about the main, not long tail, but the head part of those keywords. But I pretty much failed miserably. I never really had a lot of traffic or anything like that. And that kind of made me switch to paid traffic where I could get results immediately. And I learned what I was good at was sort of optimizing headlines, figuring out who exactly I want to target, who exactly would convert the best for me. And for me, at least, that's a lot easier in terms of thinking of the demographics and the psychographics of the interests rather than thinking which hundreds of long tail keywords are my customers searching for. I find that a lot harder to do. Uh, you know, one thing I'd be interested in, you, your post, your three-part series, Lessons Learned from Helping Over 150 Startups with Marketing, mm-hmm. you, you broke it into three parts. Did the fact that you broke it into three parts help get more traffic than if you were at one long post? Well, Is that why you broke it into three? Or is it just... It was, they were, I broke it into three cause they were just getting long, but I also <laughs> wanted to, to test some tricks, not tricks, but methods of writing copy that I learned from reading all these copywriting books and advertising books. And basically what they say is to have a, a really appealing headline and then have a bunch of subheadlines that list specific benefits or specific things that people are interested in. And then at the end, have a teaser or something that'll help people come back. So when I wrote something like next week, I'll cover like the best traffic tip that, that I've ever seen or something. When I'm writing that, I don't actually know what that traffic tick will be. I know I have a lot of them in my head and I think about them and eventually I'll think of one, but basically I just wanted to test different methods of writing copy and making blog posts readable. And I think a lot of bloggers, or at least I do struggle between providing a lot of long in-depth content versus just getting someone's attention and making something readable and easy to process. And you mentioned before that you had a lot of people bounce from your post just because they thought it was too long or they thought that they wouldn't have time to read it or things like that. And I really wanted to avoid that. So I was very conscious of breaking content into small, easily digestible chunks, almost as each one could stand on its own. Each little section could become its own post. And I think especially when people are on a social media site and they're jumping from article to article, that's probably a good way for them to consume content. 
Yeah, you know, it's almost <laughs> it's remember we interviewed uh Derek Sivers a while back and he he's had a lot of success with keeping his articles short. I think he called it like it was like what a two minute roll, four hundred to six hundred words. Is that is that right, Justin? Do you remember what those sounds things? very familiar. Yeah, something like that. And he said that, that that improved his I don't know, uh his reach a lot because if it's longer than two minutes, people will tend to bookmark it and come back to it later, in which case you're gonna lose a lot of those people. And yeah, you know, but- that's you know, it, it also that it also kind of goes both ways because you want people to bookmark your stuff. So if you frame something as a guide or as a reference that people would come back to and they bookmark it. I mean, I was trending on delicious and all those sites without even doing anything just because it was something that people wanted to bookmark. So both are good strategies. Interesting. Hey, um, Jason, um, that this this show has just been awesome. Um, I think that uh, we we've come up to the one hour thirty minutes, so I think we're uh, coming to the end there. But yeah, that's 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 good. I think it's good length. Um, it's always it's always hard for me to uh, to keep track because of the whole um, the fact that we have to restart every forty five minutes because of my snow leopards and the snow leopard Skype. There book. must be a way around it. The forty seven minute glitch. Please Only forty seven minutes. Every, every 47 minutes, Jason's Skype falls down, breaks. Yeah, it's like, thir- <laughs> it's like 47 minutes and like 34 seconds or something. It's like exactly to the second. That's really uh, interesting. I'm wondering what's in the code that makes it do that. Yeah, yeah and then uh, the little bit of research that we've done, on, I think something, there's some driver bug somewhere. Um, I, I, I don't well, know. It's, I mean, it's I, weird because I'm on Snow Leopard on Skype and it's been fine. So that's really random and weird. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's not everybody. It's just just uh, it's just Jason. Just me, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, just me. No, I, if you search in Google, I think it, there's other people suffering from it. So who knows? Well, um, Ilya, it was really great having you on the show. Um, I've learned a lot. I've definitely learned a lot. Yeah, totally. But I, I've learned a lot of things that I don't know about. So at least I'm to do more research on. And you know, I I think part of learning is just becoming aware of the things you need to learn. <laughs> you know, yeah. A lot of things that we've talked about, I'm going to have to go into, um, I'm really going to have to experiment with and research. I mean, you know, you've talked about a lot of different types of techniques and a lot of different traffic sources and a lot of different, um, actually, tools. But just hearing about them is useful. But what's really going to be useful is actually taking them and experimenting with them a little bit, spending some time. But, yeah, well, it's just going to come down to testing and just seeing what works and figuring out what's actually repeatable that you could scale up. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a famous, what was it, the Rumsfeld famous? There's the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you're, 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 you moved a lot of my unknown unknowns into my known unknowns. So now I just know I don't know that much about. <laughs> That's the first step. Right. So, well, thanks again uh, for coming on the show, Nelia. We really appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck with Insight.io. Um, I'm excited to use it because that sounds like it's going to save me some time. Um, you got a quick question, though. When is it going to be up, do you think? Do you have any idea? Uh, well, it's pretty early, but probably within three to four months, I would think we'd get to a beta. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I have to figure out with it in terms of how do I present all of these unknowns to people so they're not overwhelmed because right now there's a lot of data and I'm trying to filter it and make it accessible to everyone. Right, right. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an extremely useful tool, so I'm going to be excited to use it. All right, uh, Justin, I guess that's a wrap. We're out. 